Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called Return and Rebuild as he speaks on what it looks like to come back to the heart of worship. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Good morning, Impact Church. How are you doing this morning? Everybody good? Here we go. Diving right into chapter 3 of Ezra. If you've been here, we started a sermon series uh, going expositionally through the book of Ezra in a sermon series entitled Return and Rebuild. And we've been looking at how God is leading these Israelites after a period of captivity because of their sin, because of their turning away from him and his word, that Jeremiah and all the prophets tried to tell them, hey, if you don't repent, if you don't get it right, man, bad times are coming. Well, guess what? They Bad times came. All right. And they've spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon, and now God is calling them back, a return to him, a return to, to worship And that's what our title of our message is today, is coming back to the heart of worship. Because we're going to see that very specifically in our passage today. And I want to start with an introduction that's kind of laced around football, because it's like the the big football theme Sunday anyway. But back in July of 1961, the Green Bay Packers had 38 members on their football team. And they were gathered together on this day in July of 1961 for the start of their football camp, all right? What was uh, significant about this one, maybe compared to to others, is just the previous season, they had ended with a heartbreaking loss. They had a fourth quarter lead that they squandered to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they lost the NFL championship. This is back before it was called the Super Bowl. They lost it to the Eagles in a heartbreaking fashion in the last minutes of the game. So after this team had spent the whole off season just really thinking about that loss and everything that had happened, and God, and, and, and they were really looking to their coach for, for advice and really chomping at the bit, if you will, on how to get back and, and how to really um, get back to some, some more advanced tech techniques and some more advanced plays that maybe they could win the next season. And they had thought about this all year. And they're here and now at this training camp and their coach, Vince Lombardi, who the Super Bowl trophy is named after now, who by the only way had one playoff loss in his entire career, and it was this one that we're talking about, unreal. And so he comes in and you think he would be, all right, we're going to get more advanced, we're going to get more fancy and all this, that, and the other. You know what he did? He come in and he took one of these and he held it up to his team, and he said, this is a football. (laughs) He didn't just go back to the fundamentals. He went back to the very basics, to what the focus and what the game was really all about. And he would then teach them how we're going to protect this, how we're going to defend this, how we're going to learn to advance this. Because this is what it's all about. And so inside of that is a message for us today, guys, because have you, I don't know if you've ever been like me and you've ever experienced defeat at the hands of life. 
at the hands of your, your enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Have you ever experienced defeat, a heartbreaking loss? And so oftentimes it's easy for us to get off track, to get off path, to, to be thinking about how we can just do better and be better and, and, and all these things. And God wants to call us back to where we're really going to find victory. And that's the focus on what it's really about. So guys, this is the Bible. And we're going to get back to the heart of worship. Because your faith and my faith is all about this. It's God's word. It's him. It's about Jesus and his word. So as we look today for, and see how these Israelites came back, God is calling, back, calling them back to the heart of worship, back to the basics, back to the fundamentals of worship to focus on what really matters and what life is all about. And I know and trust that God is doing the same for us today. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, the reason why we are here, Lord, you are holy, you are mighty, you are sovereign, you are full of mercy and grace, you are just, and you are worthy of our praise. So Lord, we lift your name high today, Lord, and we come here to worship you and praise you. And Lord, we come here to hear from your word today. So, Lord, as we dive in and, and, and we read from your word, Lord, would you speak? Lord, would you do only what you can do through your word? And would you meet us where we're at? And, Lord, help call each and every one of us back to the heart of worship, to the basics, to the fundamentals, to the real focus of why we're here and the mission that you have for each and every one of us. So, Lord, I pray as we... Look in your word, Lord, that you would speak and move hearts and lives and change us like only you can. And you get all the glory in advance for everything that you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have to have a copy of God's word, you can turn with me to the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 3 today, starting in chapter 3. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 7 is our teaching passage. So let's go ahead and read that together. And the word of the Lord there says this. And when the seventh, seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. And it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God, through fear, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. They also kept the feast of tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord 
although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So what does it look like when we begin to rebuild? You see, to back up to, to this point, we know chapter 1 was all this stirring that we talked about and how the people were, were being stirred by the Lord and this um, decree from Cyrus had come forth from, uh, of Persia and, they were, and he was giving them permission to go back and rebuild the temple and how God moved hearts and moved people. And then we looked at last week about this call to community, how everybody went together and, and they were moving toward a common cause. So now today we see as things get started, what does it really look like? What does this rebuild look like in our life? Well, we, when you think of a rebuild, first of all, you think of removing something that's old, don't you? A rebuild, you've got to tear down or, or something's got to be destroyed that was once there and then to restart. So there has to be a, a clearing of old and then a reset on a foundation that's new and secure to rebuild and hold. So I want you to think about that as we go through. And we're going to grab five points from this passage that we're going to point out today, some five truths of what it looks like to come back to the heart of worship. And the first one we're going to look at is to come back to the proper foundation of worship and sacrifice. We must come back to the proper foundation of worship and sacrifice. You see, they were rebuilding this temple in the same place which the old one once was. It wasn't a, a new piece of ground, a new piece of land, a move, a shift. This was going in the same spot that it once existed. So... This reestablishment of, of worship and this first thing in return is we're going to see what these Israelites had to do, like we've already talked about, is they first had to take a step of faith out to do something that they didn't really have the resources to do on their own. And other people, and God had to move in other people's hearts to give toward this, to even provide them a way. And then remember, they're going back to a place of rubble. This place hasn't been cleaned out. There's a lot of work involved in this, all right? This is messy. This is nasty. This isn't smooth and easy. There's a lot of work. So we're going to see the first thing they come back to, the first thing they do is establish worship. So the first thing that you and I do as God calls us back, maybe from a defeat, from a loss in our life, from, from a marriage that's gone bad, or from, from situations in our kids or in our job or in our health or anything else, you know, through addiction or anything else, God is going to call us back to a proper foundation of worship, to get that right first in our life before we move forward into anything else. And we see here that they set this altar down in its place before the foundation of the temple was set. That is huge, guys. Wouldn't you think you would wait till the building was up and then, then you set the altar inside? Worship's first. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, what does that say to us? You don't have to worry about getting your life right first to come and worship God. 
you fall on your knees in repentance and faith and you cry out to a holy God and you start worshiping him first and then he's going to do the work to rebuild the temple of your life. He's going to clean it up. Amen. You ought to say amen to that because you and I don't have the power, the strength on our own to get our life right. We're nothing apart from Christ and the Spirit of God. We have no power. The only thing we have to pull from is our flesh and our own limited human understanding. But when we have the Spirit of God in us, now we have something that drives us, that motivates us, that makes it all possible. So they did not hesitate. They didn't build the house first and get it all right. They went back to worship. God called them to the altar to sacrifice. And sacrifice is a huge part of it, and we'll talk about that as we go in. So we look at this rebuilding of the altar and where it's at, where this temple was even going to be. But this is on Mount Moriah. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? And of course we know, like we've already stated, the first first temple that Solomon had put up was right here on Mount Moriah. So we know that definitively in Scripture. So we're at this site, Jewish tradition And even some scholars believe that possibly this is even where the creation of man took place. This is where God brought the dust up and created man, possibly, on Mount Moriah. They even state that some uh, Jewish uh, tradition believes that this is the, what they call the, the Sakhara in, a, in Arabic, which means it's the foundation stone, that it's the, the place on which that was created first upon the earth that, that God created uh, everything from. So it's the, the foundation stone. Whether that's true or not through tradition, we don't know definitively. But what we do know definitively, not only was the altar and the temple first erected here, but do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? And we can definitively know through Scripture that this is the very place where Abraham was called by the Lord to take Isaac up as a sacrifice. I want you to think about that for just a minute. With everything we know, with everything that's going on here, this is the spot where this all took place. And Abraham takes Isaac up, and you know the story, that right at the minute where he's about to slay his son, God provided what? There's a ram in the bushes. Hey, is there significance in that? You better believe it. Because in the Hebrew, this word, Mount Moriah, Moriah, means God is my teacher. It's going back to the heart, in the very place where where God moved and, and done miraculous things. Some scholars even believe that Golgotha is the same spot right here as Mount Moriah. What does that mean? That means that the very place where Jesus possibly was crucified happened right here, possibly at the summit of Mount Moriah. Isn't it beautiful how God works through his word? You see this story of Abraham and Isaac and, and how just at the, at the last moment, God provided a what? A sacrifice. And you see years later, the Messiah coming to earth, and though all of mankind would be lost and destined for hell, Jesus came and God provided what? A sacrifice. So now today, here we go to Jerusalem, back to rebuild. They're going to put the altar down first and make a what? A sacrifice. Do you see God's truth and word coming? So what is worship? We need to get this right before we, we, if we don't have an accurate view of what worship is, we're going to be all jacked up in what we think God expects from us. Because superficially, we think worship is just about music or or, or just about giving praise with our tongue. Is that all it is or, or is there more to that? Let's look at scripture. 
That's a great place to find out, isn't it? Let's go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know it. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to make your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your what? True and proper what? Worship. What's our true and proper worship? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. So what does worship involve? Sacrifice. Have you sacrificed your heart, your will, your life to Jesus? I don't mean do you just know about Jesus? Do you just believe he's God? Do you just know he's full of mercy and grace? I mean, have you laid your life down through repentance as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him? Have you done that? If you haven't, you have not worshiped him properly yet. We must come back to the first place of worship to get it all else that comes after it right. So then we continue through Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do, do not what? Conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But yet so many of us want to worship and conform to the world. Ain't that easy to do? I mean, we all have flesh inside, and we all have things we want to try to justify, and we want to compare ourselves, right, and say, well, those people are really bad. I'm not so bad, Lord, so I can continue in this little sin, and I can put it in my closet, and it's okay because I, I'm going to conform to the world over here where nobody knows about, and I'm still going to worship you. Is that what God wants and expects? He wants sacrifice. He wants it all. He wants to clean it all up. So... Don't conform to the pattern of this world. How do we do that? By being transformed through the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? We put in the basics. This is a football. This is the Bible. This will transform and renew our mind. Do you want to be different? I mean, really, I mean, really, do you long, is your heart's cry to Jesus for you to be set apart, for you to be different than the world, not for legalistic standards, not for, for praise of man and ooh, and a pat on the back, not for that. Do you want to be different so that other people can see Christ in and through you? Is that your heart's cry? I think of the song by Micah Tyler called Different. It says, I want to be different. I want to be changed to all of me's gone. And all that remains is a fire so bright that the whole world can see that there's something different. So come and be different in me. Is that your heart's cry? That's a beautiful lyric to a song that just cries out to God for sanctification that God wants us to walk in. And it's a beautiful thing to be transformed and renewed in Christ. Because here's the truth. We know Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, Jesus even noticed and knew because he's God that even though some people worshiped with their tongues and praised him with their lips, that their hearts were far from him. And so what did he say? He says, so because of that, your worship is in vain. 
So let me ask you, let me ask me to do, to do a, a gut check today. Are we just merely worshiping God with our lips and our tongue? Or are we worshiping God with our hearts and our lives? Because make no mistake, God knows. That's the beautiful thing. God knows you. God knows me. God knows our hearts. God knows our motives, why we do what we do. Everything about us. Galatians tells us God can't be mocked. A man's going to, what, reap what he sows. If you sow to to please the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to please the Spirit, you're going to reap life. I don't know about you, but I want life. And we can't play games with God because he already knows anyway. So we can worship and we can come to church and we can praise and we can raise our hands and we can memorize scripture and we can do all kinds of great things. But if our heart isn't right and we're not living it out behind closed doors, God's not impressed. And he says your worship is in vain. So we have to come back to the proper worship. And that's through sacrifice, making our bodies, our lives, everything about us, holy and pleasing to God. How? Through legalistic standards and trying to do better? No, by surrendering to Jesus. I want to tell you, man, your faith and my faith in living out the sanctified life is not about trying harder. It's not about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. That's not what it's about. It is about trusting God through his promises and surrendering your will to his will. That's it. That's the beautiful thing. If we surrender to him and his word, he does the work of transforming from the inside out. So that was our first point. We must come back to that proper foundation of worship and sacrifice. Second, we must anchor our heart mind and life in his word our second point from this passage on coming back to the heart of worship is we must anchor our heart mind and life in his word and you somebody be like brad where in the world did you get that in this passage did anybody catch in verse two where it says as it is written as it is written what did they do they didn't just put the altar down and then do what they wanted to do Worship God how they wanted and this, that, and the other. No, they went back to what they already knew, how God had already told them through Moses and Exodus, right? Here's how you do it. Here's how I want you to worship me. Here's how you even build the altar. Here's the sacrifices that are pleasing and, and that are worthy. Here's the ones that are not. There's specific regulations around this that God put in place. Why? So that his people could be set apart. So that they would not be confused with the pagans. That there would be difference in them and it would be difference by how they worship through God's truth guys it's no different for us today praise God we don't have to kill animals and lay them on an altar to worship and sacrifice that'd be a little messy up in here today wouldn't it and we couldn't probably put that on TV for all the kids you know what I'm saying Facebook would be down if we had to sacrifice animals up here praise God we don't have to do that because the lamb for the world was already was slain at Calvary and the blood was already shed so now through that we have forgiveness but this was their worship and the way they worshiped at the time that was set forth in the Mosaic law. I think it's a beautiful picture of what this looks like because we know that when you tie this all in about how their hearts needed to be right and how they need to be doing it right with God and, and, and offering what was pleasing to him, I think of also the song that's kind of the title of this message that you may have already noticed. It's coming back to the heart of worship, a, a song by Matt Redman. And if you listen to that, it says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You 
look much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. So then the Course says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's anchored back in the heart of Christ and his word. Remember we've said time and time again, and please get this, you cannot separate Jesus and his word. You cannot do it. There's a lot of churches today that try to do that. They try to separate Jesus from his word. That gives them the ability to then try to, false teaching-wise, try to take out pages of this Bible. So you can still have Jesus, but we can take some of this out. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. So this true and proper act of worship includes coming to his word and anchoring our heart, mind, and soul in it. And these people were coming back to what God had told them, even about how to worship. You know, you and I, in so many ways, would just do good to go back to what God has already said for our life, wouldn't we? But oh, how easy it is to, to stray and to deviate from his truth. You know, and this applies to all of us. This isn't just some of us or a few of us that are struggling right now. This is every single one of us. Remember Isaiah 53? It says we all like sheep have what? Gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. So each of us have experienced this time in our life, whether it's past, present, or even will be in the future, where, where we turn our back on God and his truth and his word, and we try to live by our own understanding, separated from him. These Israelites tried to do that, and they experienced the punishment of God because he's just. Yes, he's grace and mercy, and they're seeing the fulfillment of that now once their heart is repentant. But when their heart wasn't repentant and they were living for their sin, God turned them over to it, buddy. And let them experience the nastiness of it. How about you? Have you experienced the nastiness of sin? Have you experienced the consequences maybe of your own choices or even of the choices of somebody else that was sinful? The Israelites had experienced just that. And through repentance, through God stirring in their heart and them responding in obedience. Now, beautiful part of who God is. We must remember Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says that, and you have forgotten the ex exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That means disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, God's got a purpose in his discipline, and it's to wake us up, for us to look up and see Christ in the fullness of who he is. It's not rocket science, guys. It doesn't take a theologian. It takes a heart that trusts God in his word and surrenders to it and falls in repentance to get it right. If you look at the, and think about this whole foundation, and, and we know Jesus is called the cornerstone, and, and we know that in Matthew 7, Jesus gave this home-building seminar of sorts, and we've talked about it many times in verses 24 through 27. I just want to read it for you one more time, and I want you to see at the beginning of what defines who is wise and who is unwise right here as we look at this point, anchoring our heart, mind, and life in his word. 
Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Church, what are you building on today? Did you catch that? What's the definition of wise versus unwise? Right here in Jesus' own words. Whether you obey his word or not. Did you get it? It's, I mean, it, it couldn't be any more plain and simple. How do we even have the ability to obey his word? Through his spirit living inside of us. That's how. God's word, even through Ezekiel, says, man, if you have this, this spirit of God in you, he gives you a desire to follow his laws and his ways. That means you have a hunger for this word. Yes, even the conviction of it, right? Not condemnation, not, not the word that says, oh, you're, you're nothing, you're worthless, God can never use you. That's from the enemy. But the conviction is healthy. This is what Hebrews 12 just said, that, man, God chastens those he loves. Why? Because he wants to bring a fruit of righteousness in your life. He wants you to miss out on the pain that comes if we fall for the wiles of the enemy and ourself and living for the things of this world. These Israelites had seen that. So when you look at this obedience, we know that it's now the key to being anchored in his word. And it's about being surrendered. 1 John 2 and verse 4 says, the man that says, I know him, meaning I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That verse smacked me upside the back of my head years ago and made me wake up. How about you? What's it going to take to make you wake up and see that God is calling you back to something? And when we look at this obedience and, and, and living according to his word, and we tie that in with even what we're going to be doing here in a minute today, and, and that's watching a Super Bowl, a football game, all right, which over half of the nation is going to be watching today. Over half is going to be watching this game. And some of you, again, you, you may not know anything about football. You may not care. But just so you know, there's a 100-yard there's a field, okay, that they're going to play on. And, and there's these big, white, broad lines around the edges of this 100-yard green grass area. You know what that's called? Boundaries, right? Okay, and inside those 100 yards, there's lines that tell you where you are. And so we have boundaries and we have lines that tell you where you are. And these boundaries let you know that, hey, if I step off the green into the white, I'm what? I'm out of bounds. And that plays over. Okay? So there's, there's rules and regulations that even go around this game, even penalties. And what are all these stipulations for? Are they to, to make the game unfun? No, just the opposite. These rules, this... All these boundaries, these lines, these penalties are there for, to give structure, to give clarity to the game. They give purpose to the game. So now there's a reason why we're doing what we're doing, and it gives safety. Hey, guys, this is a football. This is a Bible. There's some boundaries here. There's some lines where we can see where we're at to, compared to where Christ wants us to be. There's some penalties we can make that'll set us back if we're not careful that God warns about. 
But in the wholeness of all of it, God's purpose is to give structure to our lives, to give clarity to our being, to give purpose to who we are, and to bring safety so that we don't mess up and experience the pain of sin. Do you get it? It's no different. I mean, what if this game today was played and they just let everybody out and go do what they wanted to do? It don't matter. It don't matter if you're out of bounds or Cooper Cup catches a pass. He's like, man, I ain't staying in the green area. That's where all the people are. Everybody trying to hit me over here. I'm going to run over here on the sideline where it's safe. So he takes off to the sideline, jumping over the bench and the water coolers. And then here comes the linebacker. Boom, hits him. He goes flying off his feet right in and blows up a cheerleader. <laughs> right? And then there's, there's like makeup and glitter and, and pom-pom everywhere. And it's not safe anymore, right? It's just because somebody said, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to do what I want to do because it looks like it's easier over there. Hey, how many times do we do that? It looks easier over here. I'm going to go this way. But then it causes me or somebody else pain. So God has boundaries. And he has things for us to live by that will give structure, clarity, purpose, and safety to your life. God established them so we could submit ourselves to him and play this game of life within his game plan so that we could experience the abundant life and so that he could use us in a mighty way to affect others. So how have you lived your life? Stop resisting how God wants you to walk and live. Just stop. Parents, do you offer guidelines and and structure for your home for your kids? I hope you do. Kids, stop resisting it. It's for your good. It's not because they they hate you, they don't want you to, to have fun. They don't get you a bike and then tell you not to drive in the street because they hate you and don't want you to have fun. They give you a bike and tell you not to drive in the street so you won't go out there and kill yourself and get hurt. Does it make sense? So although there's, there's freedom given and things that God wants to give us freedom in life, but there's also boundaries and things that he wants us to avoid so that we don't hurt ourselves. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not something for us to avoid, resist, and push back on the parameters of our life. I've never drank, I've never smoked, I've never done a drug in my life. That means I've never been drunk and I've never been high in my entire life. And I don't look back on it and feel like I missed out on anything. But there's times where I have messed up and boundaries that I did cross in God's word because I thought it was okay, but I thought it wouldn't matter because I was young and I could have time to correct it. And I look back on those times now and I regret every minute of it. How about you? Are you just going to live life the way you please? Or are you going to fall under the authority of God who has your best in mind? It's the boundaries he's laid and set before us. And it's your proper act of worship to come into that. Number three follows up with what we said at the beginning. We need to offer ourselves as a daily sacrifice and surrender to Christ and his lordship. We must be a daily sacrifice and surrender to his lordship. If we look in this passage that we just read out of Ezra chapter 3, and you look in verses 3 through 5, it starts to lay out the details of how they worshiped and how they sacrificed. When did it say? Morning and evening. What is that? Daily. Every day. Every day. Even twice a day here. They're living out what God wants them to do and to be. And we know they just started this because we know there was a time they weren't doing this. That's why they ended up in Babylon, right? Get it? So now this, there's this change. There's this renewing. There's this, hey, man, sin stinks. Man, I got to go back to what God wants for me. And so there's this renewing of the mind through the word and through God's calling back. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Call them back to worship daily. 
maybe, maybe, just maybe, some of us need to go back to thinking about worship daily. Not just on Sunday, but a daily act of worship, sacrifice, and surrender to a holy God who loves us. For some of us, that may be getting somewhere in silence, right? And just hearing the Lord because we're so busy and we're so caught up in everything. You know, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. There's a part of it to that. We know there's another part where, of course, you know, Moses told the Israelites, be still because the Lord your God's going to fight for you today. And then God come to him a split second later and be like, dude, why are the Israelites standing still? Tell them to move toward the Red Sea. So part of being still is not just being still and sitting on your hands and being quiet. That might be part of it. Some of it's just not taking matters into your own hands. Don't worry about, you're not going to have to fight these Egyptians that are coming. You just walk in obedience to what I'm telling you to do. I'm going to fight for you today. That's being still and knowing that he's God sometimes because we're so good at wanting to leverage our own uh, strengths. We want to leverage our, our finances and our relationships to, to make things happen. To, when we don't have clarity and we don't see God moving, we want to take matters in our own hands. But God says be still and know that he's God. A lot of that goes into trust. So some of us, coming back to this worship and daily sacrifice and surrender, may be just getting in silence and hearing from the Lord. Some of us, it may be getting around music, pumping it in your car, right? Because some of you got to get jiggy with it to forget the spirit. And that's okay. Do what you got to do. Everybody's different. Some in silence, some with music. But the bottom line is this. No matter which one you do there, you have to get in his word. You have to. And you'd be like, man, Brad, well, what do I read? Where, where do I start? I don't know. I don't know that it really matters, but just get your nose in it. Start reading that, man, in the Spirit of the Lord will start speaking and moving in you because he's good like that. You know what I'm saying? So just get in it. Get some guidance. Get some direction from somebody, but get in the Word. It's part of your daily sacrifice and surrender and letting God transform you. And the Bible says this in this passage. I love it. It says, despite their fear of others. Did you catch that little part in there? They went back to worship despite what other people were going to think and do to them. How about you? Do you worship no matter what? Or do you only worship where, where, when it's convenient and quiet and in private? I'm going to tell you, God did not go to the cross to give you a private faith. Amen. He did not. He did it so you could live it out in front of other people. Why? For your glory? No. For his glory. 100%. That's the gospel. And it's our great commission. So they had morning and evening daily worship. And some of us just think, Getting by with one day a week on Sundays is enough. And we even get frustrated then when the long-wedded, bald-headed preacher goes too long every Sunday. Come on, dude. Is this every guy going to shut up? You're only here one day. You're going to complain? Shame on us, God. I used to be that too before I was up here speaking, and I realized how hard it is to stay on time. One day a week. And so many times we think that's enough. And then when, when we get up here and we push away, oh, you want me to go to life group too? What do you mean I got to go to life group and church? Oh, you mean I got to take my kid to youth too? Oh, and now you want me to go to a men's breakfast and a woman's Bible study? What's up with that? We think one day and one time's enough. I came to the Christmas Eve service, Pastor. I don't need to come on Sunday. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. <laughs> Daily. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? I love Psalm 40, 8410. 
Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Is that your heart? It's better in one day with you, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. But we, we live for the thousands elsewhere all the time. We live for the, for the man, I got to have the raise. I got to have more money. We're in the rat race, man. We're live, trying to live out the American dream. I can't wait till I have a bigger house. I can't wait till I have a, a, the brand new car. I can't wait till I win the lottery. Then everything's going to be good. Woo! We live for the thousands elsewhere, but God says better is one day in his courts. He's right there. Don't get caught up in the things of this world because it's only going to leave you empty and wanting more. Better is one day with Christ than anything this world has to offer. The fourth thing we get toward the end of this passage that we see as you look down in, in verse uh, 7 that they gave, and, I, and I'm not going to touch on this very long because I feel like we hit it some the past couple weeks, but giving is a part of worship. Did you know that? Your giving, your, your tithe that God commands. Because why? Because he wants your heart. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And the Bible says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you treasure? Your money or the work of the gospel? God only requires a tenth. You've heard me say before, we give more to that to the waiters and waitresses and don't complain. God only requires a tenth. So do you tithe or do you tip God? Because there's a big difference. Giving is a part of worship. Does God have all of you or does he not? Your time, your talent, your treasure, it's part of the sacrifice. Our fifth and final point, because I am going to try to end a little more on time today. All right? Is we must put worship in its proper place. We must put worship in its proper place. We look here, and it says that they set the altar on its pillars. They put it in its proper place. Where's the significance in that? Because they set it where God had already ordained it to go. They didn't say, hey, man, it would be easier if we take this bad boy since we're rebuilding it, and we put it down the hill so we ain't got to walk up this hill every day to sacrifice and worship. Wouldn't that be convenient? Yeah, that ain't where God wanted it. Or wouldn't it be better if we set it over here? (laughs) Wouldn't that be easier to put it over there and do something different with it? No, they put it in its place. So let me ask you today, is your worship of the Lord in its proper place? Or have you just put it where it's convenient for you? And when it works out, and when you don't have anything else going on, And when nobody's around that'll make fun of you or ridicule you or unfriend you on Facebook. Or have you put worship in its proper place? And that's where God wants it in your life. And that's first and foremost. Where have you set the altar to God in your life? Or have you put another God on the altar of your life? If you have, it's time to take him off. Whatever it is, money, fame, fortune, addiction, whatever, whatever other God materialism you've fallen into, put God back in the proper place in your life. It'll make everything else work out. And here's the beautiful part like we talked about. You can do this before the temple's built. Before everything else is right in your life, 
you can do this. Because I'm going to tell you, nothing else will be right in your life until you put the altar in the proper place in your life. They put the altar in its proper spot. And they were growing. So we don't get to choose where the altar gets set or where we think it's best or where it's convenient for us. We put it where God's called us to put it. And that's at the center with him on the throne. So what's in that? What's inside of that of putting worship, putting the altar in its proper place? Guys, get this. It's an invitation for you and I to have intimacy with the holy God who created us and created everything. I want you to think about that. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. God wants an intimate relationship with you. Why would we run from that? Why would we go to something else when the creator of the universe and, and everything and who is sovereign over our lives wants to have intimacy with us? Even in the darkest, most challenging trials and moments of our life where there's no clarity whatsoever, God is inviting you and I to intimacy with him. Because then we'll have clarity. But so often we run and we put the altar somewhere else. Having the altar in its proper place in your life doesn't mean that everything's going to work out okay and all the circumstances in your life are always going to be great. Ask Paul. Doesn't mean that. But it means that you will have joy even amongst the challenges of your life. That's God's promise. See, here it is. When you and I have a proper focus of worship and we return to the heart of worship and have the proper focus of God, it changes our perspective of everything. It changes our perspective of how appealing and attractive the world is. You know that? If you truly come to Christ and you truly are, are living this out and you truly have come to the proper worship, God takes the desire of the world away from you. I promise you that. How do you know, Brad? Because I've experienced it. I don't even want to listen to some of the things I used to listen to. I'm ashamed of what I used to listen to. How about you? Has God done that in your life? I'm ashamed of some of the things I used to watch. I'm ashamed of some of the people I used to hang out with. I'm ashamed of some of the things I used to do. I don't even want them back in my life. How about you? Have you experienced that? That's what God wants to do is change you from the inside out. To put a new desire in you. Because here is a beautiful thing. If you and I don't believe in the total sovereignty, holiness, and the goodness of God, we will become uninterested, casual, and even calloused regarding our worship of him. And we will start to get excited about the world and the things that appeal to our flesh. That will happen. What does that mean? What that means is this. If you've never been out and you've felt the sun and seen the brightness of the sun, you'll be impressed by a flashlight. If you've never been out in the middle of a storm and seen the lightning and felt the thunder rattle in your bones, you may be impressed by the firecracker. If you and I never experience, never see, never feel the goodness and the holiness and the righteousness of God, then we'll be impressed by the world and what it has to offer. The world's always going to come up short. 
And it's nothing, nothing, nothing compared to what God wants to do and be in your life. So as we close, this is a football. And it has the opportunity to fail. It's deflatable, as Tom Brady. Sorry, guys. But this is a Bible. And it's infallible. It's inerrant. And it will change your life. If you'll go back to the basics that are in it. And put your focus back on it. And the words of the creator and the savior who want to speak life into you. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And he'll never let you down. He sticks closer than a brother. So, with this football, it's going to be on a field today. On a football field with a lot of grown men chasing it around. And it's going to be the focus today. So this is the Bible. Will this be the focus of your life today? Let's come back to the heart of worship. And let's get it right. Because Jesus wants to make an impact in your life and in others' life through you. Come back to the heart of worship. Let's bow our head and close our eyes right now. Let's just meditate on what God has spoken today. What it looks like to make our bodies a living sacrifice, to be anchored in his word, to make it daily of sacrifice and surrender, to let giving and stewardship be a part of our life and our worship, and then to put worship in its proper place as we come running back to the one who wants to rebuild our life. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you've never made him Lord of your life, the first step you need to take today is to surrender, to repent. That means to forsake yourself, your sin, your pride, the things of this world that have entrapped you, that have entangled you. Paul says, let's cast them off and let's run the race set before us. Are you ready to run the race that God has set before you? Right now, Christ wants to help you cast off the burden that's held you down for too long. Will you repent? That means turn your back on the sin and things of this world and turn toward the holy God. And like we've said today, just come to the altar and let him do the work of rebuilding the temple of your life. You don't have to get it right first. Just come. Make him Lord of your life today. If you've never done that, I want you to do that. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer from your heart to God's heart. Or if you're here today and you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors a lot in my life. I've surrendered my life to Christ previously. But man, lately the fire's burn out, man. I, I've just got a, I've got a glimmer of a little flame left. And man, I, I'm just so weighed down by this, by this world and, and things that I've fallen for and things that, that the world has attacked me with and the enemy has come at me with. And I just, I need to be picked up today. I need to re-surrender my life and get back within the boundaries that God has established in his word so that I can have life, so that I can have structure, clarity, purpose, and safety that God wants me to have only found in him. 
If that's you and you want to rededicate your life to him today, I'm going to ask you to pray this same prayer from your heart to God's heart and do business with him because I'm going to tell you right now, the prayer doesn't save you. The words mean nothing if your heart isn't right. So this comes from your heart right now as you cry out to a holy God to make him Lord of your life for the first time or rededicate to him to say, dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. To this point in my life, I've been living for the things of this world and separated from you. And Lord, today I want to make a change. A change. I want to be new. I want to be different. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, to break his body, to shed his blood, that I could be renewed, redeemed, restored, that I could be forgiven, that I could have hope in a new life to be set on. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God, that he's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He was God in the flesh. And Lord, he came to restore and redeem all of mankind. And he rose in victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Father, I know that and I trust that and I put my life inside of that and I ask for that same victory in my life right now, Lord, because I need it. I need you. And my commitment to you is from this day forward to the rest of my life to live for your glory. Thank you for who you are and what you're gonna do in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. If you prayed that prayer right now, you've been business with God to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life back to him, will you boldly and unashamed forget the person beside you, behind you, around you, forget what time it is right now, and would you make a stand against an enemy that wants to hold you back and a stand for Christ that wants to set you new and just admit, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God. I received him for the first time or I rededicated my life. Raise your hand. You said, Brad, I want you to pray for me. God's doing a work in my life, and I can feel it, and I know it, and I want it 100%. I'm not ashamed of it. Amen. You can put your hands down. Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause because it's all about him. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Guys, let's take this word today and go out this week and make an impact for Christ. Let's grab somebody, friends, family. Let's bring them back next week and pack the tent for Jesus because we're going to have a message on accountability here that we see next in this passage in Ezra. So you don't want to miss it. Make an impact for Christ. See you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.